This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Relationships take work, and that's especially true about the relationship you have with yourself. We often will drop anything to go help someone we care about. We'll go out of our way to treat other people well, but how often do we give ourselves that same treatment? Investing in your mental well-being with therapy is one of the most important things you can do for yourself, and that's why this month, BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you that you matter just as much as everyone else. And therapy is a great way to make sure you show up for yourself. Therapy is a useful tool for anyone, no matter their walk of life. And with BetterHelp, you not only get the help you need, but the help you deserve. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Morning Cup of Murder listeners can get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash morning cup. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash morning cup. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Cup of murder. Missing persons cases are always filled with heartbreaking mystery, especially when the one missing is a helpless child. On February 14th, 2000, a young girl woke up in the dead of night and walked out her front door. A girl who, 21 years later, has yet to be found. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Aisha Jaquilla Degree was born on August 5, 1990, to parents Harold and Aquila Degree, who married on Valentine's Day in 1988, a date that would become an important key to this story. Aisha, along with her older brother, O'Brien, were raised in a rural area of Shelby, North Carolina, where her parents worked normal shifts and the kids let themselves into the house after school. An area and a time where parents felt safe and latchkey kids still existed. The degrees were very careful to make sure that they shielded their children from the outside influences and instead lived a life centered around their extended family, church, and school. There wasn't even a computer in their house. In an interview in 2014, Aquila said the following, Every time you turned on the TV, there was some pedophile who had lured somebody's child away via the internet and claimed that she never worried about her daughter acting out because she was shy, extremely cautious, and content to stay within the limits that her parents set for her. She was a smart girl, a star student, and had aspirations of going off to college and becoming an author, illustrator, and studies science at the Winston-Salem University. In the year 2000, Aisha was in fourth grade at nearby Falston Elementary School and was heading into a three-day weekend in the second week of February, which meant that her parents still had to work, so she and her brother spent the day at their aunt's house in the same neighborhood and then to their basketball practices. The very next day, Aisha, the star point guard, was dealt a blow when her team lost the first game of their season and she fouled out. Her parents would later recall how upset she and her teammates were, but said that Aisha seemed to recover quickly and watch her brother's game afterwards. The siblings spent the next day, Sunday, February 13th, at church with their family, 
and that night crawled into their beds in their shared room at around 8 p.m. An hour or so later, a car accident nearby knocked down the power in the entire neighborhood and did not return until 12.30 a.m., at which time Harold peeked in and checked on his children. They were both sound asleep. He checked again around two hours later, and again, the kids were fast asleep. Shortly after his final check, 10-year-old O'Brien remembered hearing the sound of Aisha's bed squeak. Assuming she was simply changing positions, he remained in bed and drifted back off. He had no clue that his little sister had just gotten out of bed, grabbed a book bag she had already packed with several different outfits and personal items, and walked out of the house in the dead of night with her family none the wiser. Between 3.45 and 4.15 a.m., a truck driver and a motorist saw a nine-year-old little girl, Asia, walking along Highway 18 just north of its junction with Highway 180, wearing just a long-sleeved white t-shirt and white pants despite the heavy rain and wind. The motorist would later say that he turned his car around because he thought it was, quote, strange such a young child would be out by herself at that hour, but after circling three times, saw the small figure run into the woods by the roadside and disappear. They both called in with their statements after seeing a TV report about her disappearance. They had no clue when they made their calls that they were the last people to ever see Aisha Degree. When Aquila woke up at 5.45 a.m. to get the children's bath ready, with thoughts of Valentine's Day and her anniversary swimming in her head, she opened up the door to their room and, with panic rising through her body, realized that only O'Brien was lying in his bed. After a quick and frantic search of their home, Harold suggested to his wife that maybe Aisha had gone over to his mother's home across the street. They called the rest of their family, but no one had seen Aisha. Aquila heard a car running next door, threw on her shoes, ran outside, and screamed for her mother to call the police. Almost immediately after the 6.40 a.m. phone call to dispatch, police and their dogs began searching the surrounding areas looking for the missing nine-year-old. The dogs could not pick up on her scent, and Aquila's calls for her, the ones that woke the entire neighborhood, went completely unanswered. Everyone went looking for Aisha, most canceling an entire day worth of plans to make sure they could aid in the search in any way possible. And pastors from their church came over to the Degree home to lend their support while police continued their investigation. By the end of the day, the only thing found was a mitten, which Aquila said did not belong to her daughter. And by that night, Aquila and Harold were being interviewed by the SBI and ruled out as the suspects. They have spent the rest of their lives fully cooperating with the police and bending over backwards to help find their daughter. On February 15th, the day after her disappearance, on February 15th, the day after her disappearance, some volunteers helping with the search approached Rally and Debbie Turner, who lived exactly one mile away from the degree home, and asked if they could check their property for any clues. They owned an old doorless outbuilding that, when checked, had an assortment of odd items that some believed may be connected to Aisha's disappearance. A green marker, a 1996 Atlanta Olympics pencil, a yellow hair bow, some cellophane candy wrappers, and a wallet-sized photo of a little girl. The bow, a Mickey Mouse-shaped one, was identified as belonging to Aisha. The next day, Aquila realized that Aisha's favorite pieces of clothing were missing, including a pair of jeans with a red stripe. 
A week later, after 9,000 man hours, flyers, 300 leads, and searching high and low, the search for Aisha Degree was called off. It seemed like, beyond the two phone calls from witnesses and the odds and ends found in the outbuilding, there was never any solid lead that could give the case any momentum. Aquila, though, continued to fight tooth and nail for her daughter. She said that, even though it looked like she had planned the escape, Aisha was not your typical runaway. With experts backing her up, saying that she was a bit young for the average and had no signs of familial dysfunction that she would need to escape. The only really upsetting thing, as far as the family could figure, was the loss of her basketball game. But even that didn't seem like enough to send the usually happy little girl off into the middle of the night. Some do note that Aisha's class had just read a book called The Whipping Boy about a prince and a commoner child who receives lashes on the royal's behalf. The children run away, and the book goes into detail about their adventures together. They both return safely at the end of the story. These bits of information have led many to believe that there was a reason for her departure, but that somehow she either got off track or was abducted by a stranger. On August 3rd, 2001, Aisha's book bag and some other items, wrapped in a plastic bag, were found during a construction project off Highway 18, about 26 miles from Shelby. Inside was a copy of Dr. Seuss's McElligot's Pool and a New Kids on the Block t-shirt, neither of which seemed to belong to Aisha, but the book did come from her school's library. The FBI took the items for testing, but whatever the results were, they were not shared with the public. This was the last piece of evidence ever found in Aisha's case. And a tip in 2004 from an inmate led police to a set of remains that were later determined to belong to an animal. Despite her family's hard work, the multi-unit investigation, national media attention, and segments on America's Most Wanted, the Montel Williams Show, and the Oprah Winfrey Show, Aisha nor any signs of her have ever been found. In 2008, Aisha's parents established a scholarship in her name and host an annual walk to raise awareness and money to fund their continued search for their daughter. The case was reopened by the FBI in 2015, a reward of $25,000 was offered, and as a result, 15 months later came an announcement that there was a new possible lead in the case. They disclosed that Aisha may have been getting into a dark green early 1970s Lincoln Continental, or a Ford Thunderbird, along Route 18 near where she was last seen that night, a car with rust along its wheel wells. In September of 2017, the FBI announced that its child abduction rapid deployment team was in Cleveland County to assist in the investigation, and that they worked alongside the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office and North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation agents for 10 days. They have, since then, conducted approximately 300 interviews, but the case remains the same. In November of 2020, an inmate named Marcus Mellon, a convicted sex offender, wrote a letter to the Shelby Star claiming that Aisha was murdered and he knew where to find her body. The claims have yet to be verified, but are under investigation. To this day, Aquila believes that her daughter is alive and will walk through her door at any moment. She said that her daughter's case, along with the cases of many young girls like her, did not get the same attention as that of a missing white child. She intends to continue rectifying this situation. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear a terrible thing happened on February 15th. 
Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there is always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.